Purple, get ready to roll indeed. It is another installment of College and Kimball. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined as always by Alex Speth, Justin Nutter, and Clint Wilson. We know we try to bring the energy for you on the show, but we might end up being a little bit more uh, somber than we typically are for obvious reasons. Before we get into K-State's first loss of the 2021 season, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball, and you'll find each of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that page. Additionally, do podcast things. Please subscribe to the show, rate, review if you haven't had a chance to already. We greatly appreciate any feedback you, our listeners, can give us. So with all of the house cleaning taken care of up front, let's go ahead and and start to unpack this game. Now, we we will get into all the, the gruesome details of the 31 to 20 setback in Stillwater. K-State now one and seven there since the year 2000. But before we dive into the negative, and there was a lot of negative in this contest, so I'll first put it to uh, Alex and Clint. Guys, you got to make the trek down to Stillwater, take this game in from T Boone Pickens Stadium. And again, from the outside, it always looks like a gorgeous venue. But uh, what were your impressions? How'd you feel about just the campus, Stillwater in general? What'd you come away feeling? And I'll let I'll let you take this one first. Clint, go ahead. First time down there for both of us, you know, going leading up to the game, we had a pretty good time. Got invited over to a tailgate by a group of um, Oklahoma State fans that we had never met. They were some of the nicest people I've ever been around, to be honest, uh, you know, going into the stadium, it looked like kind of a cool place, uh, at least from my perspective, getting in there. I it, just the kind of the design of the stadium didn't really impress me. And the uh, the atmosphere wasn't great. It was not full. Um, but uh, up until that point, it's pretty good time. Yeah, pretty much uh, same. Clint said the, the fans are super nice, you know. I feel like they, you know, they recognize that similarity between K-State and Oklahoma State fans. Um, so they, you know, wanted to treat us well. The stadium looks cool from far away. I was not super impressed by it up close. I didn't think it was as nice as I thought it was going to be. Um, the setup of it, I liked because it felt like there wasn't really a bad seat anywhere, you know, like where we were sitting. Um, we had a pretty good view. But, you know, as far as the fans, you know, their stadium, it was probably, what, 80% full? If that. If that, you know, I didn't think it was all that loud. Um, yeah, there just wasn't a whole lot of buzz in the stadium. I thought, you know, I thought it was a fun place to watch a game, though. Um, but, yeah, the, the environment was a little tamer than I thought it would be. We may have heard more, you know, if it was a closer game from from the start, it may have been a different story. But well, I'm certainly happy to hear that you guys were were treated well as visiting fans. You never want to hear any horror stories when you go on the road to to take in a game. So I'm I'm glad at least in that sense for you. But I think now uh, you're going to make us all go through a horror story, which is discussing uh, the outcome of this game again. 31 to 20 was the final. That really does not do the the Oklahoma State Cowboys justice, they grabbed firm control of this game midway through the first quarter following that Will Howard fumble into the end zone that they uh, that they fell on to stretch that lead out to 21-10. They really never looked back from that point on. But let's let's before we dive into that 
and, and where this game went awry for K-State. Let's let's talk about that opening series and the way that Messingham drew it up. I, I thought he did a great job as far as play mixture is concerned, formation imbalance. I thought K-State really came out and threw a variety of looks and took some shots with Will Howard. How'd you come away feeling about that opening script, Justin? Um, yeah, I mean, out of the gate, obviously the designed run, the, you know, that, that, that set up the big game. Um, you, you felt pretty good about that. Pretty unfortunate to see this, the, the drive stall, you know, that close to the end zone. You knew points were going to be hard to come by anyway. So to have that golden opportunity, like I actually, I know it's far too early in the game to consider going for it there, but it did cross my mind. Um, but yeah, honestly, that opening drive altogether, it's really hard to be upset when you get any kind of points, knowing full well that points were going to be a premium pretty much all night. They came out and attacked the way I think all of, all of us really knew that they needed to to open things up at least for, or theoretically to open lanes up for, for Deuce and, and Jacardier and Joe. They they went vertical in the passing game. Nice ball out on the perimeter to Malik Knowles. Uh, hit Landry on a nice crossing route. Threw a, a nice little skinny post two to Malik Knowles at the goal line. That that was one that could have been hauled in. Uh, a 50-50 ball Malik can't quite reel in. The other one I was really impressed with too. The uh, the wheel route to Keenan Garber in the corner of the end zone, which uh, and Alex I don't know that was cl- and and Clint you guys were obviously down there. To me, that looked like that ball was intended for Garber, but Brooks just kind of drifted into the route. Is that how you guys saw it, or did you feel that that was just Will putting it in a spot and there was a mix-up on the the routes by the receivers? I felt like it was for Garber. It was a little underthrown if he puts it out there. Garber probably has an easy touchdown. The, the, The thing about that is just from our angles, they were very physical with our receivers on that possession. Um and they were coming right at us. And there was several where they were holding our guys before they were making their cuts. And, you know, they didn't call any of that. So, you know, something we just have to play through. But um, on that specific play to Garber, um, it looked like if Brooks wasn't there to muddy it up, it looked like the defender was lunging. And maybe, you know, if if Brooks wasn't in there, it was a little underthrown. But it looked like maybe that's a play that we could have drawn at least a pass interference on. Um, but they're obviously not going to call it when there's two receivers and everyone's kind of banging up against each other. Um, but yeah, I thought that was to Garber, the one to Knowles on the goal line. Um, the only issue I have with that is, you know, I'm sure it's something Oklahoma state is used to cause it's their stadium, but, uh, their stadium goes east to west instead of north to south. So Malik Knowles was pretty much staring right into the sun to catch that one. I'm sure that probably had an effect. You know, I'm sure that's probably why Oklahoma State cho- chose to to defend that direction until the sun, you know, was kind of behind the. It probably took until most of the first quarter for the sun to get behind the stadium. Um, that's something that maybe that's something the coaches need to think about. Like, but you know, that's probably being pretty nitpicky on them thinking about. Oh, the sun is going to be in our eyes, so let's not throw over the middle. Um, on deep routes in the first quarter kind of thing, but definitely made it a tougher catch, I, I would say. Definitely thought that Will Howard was um, showing some pretty good accuracy on those deep balls. He was probably a, maybe a half step behind on a lot of those passes, could have put it slightly farther out in front. Um, but you know, those are balls that the receivers need to uh, go up and occasionally get instead of 
you know, dropping it every single time like they've been yeah. doing. So the thing that yeah. sucks about that first drive, though, is, you know, a lot of good calls, a lot of plays that could have been big plays. But even even after, you know, a couple of those drops, um, we have, I believe we ran a, a jet sweep with Knowles that kind of got blown up. But if we made one block on the perimeter, he might have scored on that one. And then there was the uh, the third down play. We had crossing routes. And if we pick up a block, everyone went to the left. Uh, I believe it was maybe Adler or whoever shaded left and then Deuce went to the left. And so the guy get on, came in through the right, which forced a throw. But if we had a little better pass protection there, uh, we might have had a touchdown on Howell coming on the uh, the cross if he could have connected with him there. So it was just a lot of good play calls in that drive. And I think that's something that, um, you know, Messingham has always been pretty good at is like the first drive of a game. He plans pretty well, but just a, a very severe lack of execution in a lot of different phases on that drive as well. You're absolutely right, Alex. There were opportunities on that opening series for Kansas state. And that's not just, a credit to Messingham for the opening script, but also a credit to Will Howard. I came away feeling very encouraged about the placement of those throws. And I would understand fans' frustrations with him a little bit more if he was coming out on that opening drive and, and airmailing receivers and short hopping balls, but that wasn't the case at all. He was putting the ball in a position where his receivers could, could go and get it. And at some point you have to say there needs to be some reciprocation here. I know a lot of our fans want to put anything and everything on the quarterback's shoulders, whether it's Skyler, Will Howard, Jaron Lewis. I mean, if you if you are that person who operates from that mindset where QB is responsible for all shortcomings, then, again, I, I'm probably not going to do much to change your mind here, but I, I think you do have to acknowledge that Will Howard – looked like he took a bit of a step on that opening series. Now we got to do a little bit of good with the bad here. And this is an opportune time with that transition to talk about the fumble. Yes, it looks horrible when it's in slow motion with Mozart's Requiem and D running underneath of it. I have to admit, I got a little bit of a chuckle out of that. Uh, kudos to Oklahoma state Twitter, but, um, Context helps in this scenario in particular. Again, if you want to put it on Will Howard's shoulders because he's the quarterback, and if that's your only rationale behind that, again, we can't stop you, but Malik made a poor decision in bringing the kickoff back on the prior play. That cost you roughly 20 yards of field position by simply just not taking a knee when he fielded that kickoff about five or so yards deep in the end zone. The quarterback center exchange was not ideal. Will Howard's obviously got his heels on the goal line and Noah Johnson snap to use a baseball analogy here um, was low and outside. It certainly would not have hit the strike zone. And you couple all that with the fact that of course you're running a play with a design mesh with Jacardier right. And Will's trying to regain control of the ball and it ultimately kind of it looks like it just hits Jacardier in the groin and then it drops to the turf. So many things went awry on that play. 
that I, I again I, I just can't in good conscience say that's all Will Howard's fault. Again, yes, in slow mo, he looks like a bumbling fool trying to get back on that football. But if you run him under center and you just do a conventional handoff, probably not an issue. If you're just doing a straight drop back pass on that play and there is no design mesh with Jacardier Wright, maybe there's no drop on the initial exchange. Who's to say? I, I just think, again, it's kind of laughable that fans want to put all of that on Will's shoulders when so many other elements about that play were cocked up. And this is really probably going to be one of the last memorable moments for Howard for most fans in this game. Uh, as he does get banged up, Jaron Lewis comes in. Uh, we, we kind of anticipated seeing him anyway, but that comes more so out of necessity after Will gets nicked up. Um, I, I don't really have any takeaways from his game. I, I, I don't really have a read on what he gives the offense at this point. He was kind of hamstrung in the sense that you probably have to eliminate certain components of your game plan like QB run, uh, cause you don't want to risk the injury and risk having to throw Jake Rubley in there, a true freshman on the road, uh, I think that's obviously a scenario that that Messingham, not just Messingham, but Kleiman wanted to avoid. So, Alex, I'll I'll go ahead and start off with you. What did you see from Jaron Lewis's performance this past Saturday? And is there anything really worth noting as we move forward with him? Is there anything that he showed you that says? hey, I, I deserve more attention, I deserve more reps at QB1. What'd you come away feeling on the quarterback position after uh, Lewis's effort against Oklahoma State? Yeah, it's hard to say. I still think if you have healthy options, you know, obviously Skyler's number one. I still think Will is number two. Um, he definitely gives us more of an edge in that quarterback run game, more of a threat there. And for as many you know, Will Howard just sometimes he has those plays like the fumble where just he can't corral the ball or just like bad shit happens. Um, I do feel like rewatching a lot of this game, he made a lot of good throws. Um, so I still think that Will probably has the leg up on, on Jaron Lewis. That being said, you know, Jaron Lewis, a guy that hasn't really played a whole lot. He definitely can't, he, he definitely comes in and has a, has a bit of a, um, you know, he, definitely has a pretty good pocket awareness. I feel like Will Howard, maybe because we're more running him um, than, than, than we do do Lewis that maybe we don't see his pocket awareness as much um, because he's usually taken off for a run or something, but yeah, Lewis definitely kept thing, kept some plays alive. He didn't really do a whole lot with most of that. We have the big uh, dump off to, to, to do spawn, but um I don't know. It's it just comes down to like what more can you ask out of your third string quarterback? You know, don't don't turn the ball over, try to make some plays, but when you're on your third string guy, you know that offense is probably going to be pretty hard to come by. It's going to be hard for either one of the quarterbacks to do anything with the just the running attack not working. I mean, Deuce couldn't do anything. He was getting blown up in the backfield and then just inexplicably 
Joe Irvin gets one carry and Shikardi Wright gets zero carries. I'm not sure what the thought was there. I don't know if they thought, well, if Deuce can't do it, then our other guys can't. But sure seems like you'd want to try to mix it up with a few different types of running styles if uh, Deuce isn't working. But um, I didn't think either one of the quarterbacks played terribly. Um, you know, the stats don't look great for either one of them. Um, you know, we, you did have the one pass to Deuce that kind of inflated uh, the passing numbers was just all that uh, yards after catch. But, um, you know, neither one of them played great, but I didn't think either one of them was awful. They kind of just brought different things. Um, Howard with the more of the deep passing, and um, Lewis was definitely more of a shorter passer. But, you know, if you could combine the two of them, that would be a pretty decent quarterback. <laughs> I did, want to look at I it. did think oh. Lewis. Oh, <laughs> so I wanted to add. I one did think thing. Lewis did a pretty good job of standing in, like, like weirdly so for uh, for a guy who hasn't taken many snaps like at all. To see him like with pocket collapsing down on him in multiple instances, and he's holding the ball really until the eleventh hour, and obviously did so on that touchdown pass to Deuce. Like that was just kind of wild to watch a kid, and you know it might not be. It might be a matter of him just like not knowing any better, like. You, everybody always talks about having that that clock in your head as a quarterback, just kind of one count, two count, got to get rid of it. And, and he he was definitely breaking that rule. But um, and I'm sorry, Nutter, were you trying to chime in there? Uh, yeah, Alex, I think you had something first. I was just going to say, like, uh, the, the game plan seemed and it, it worked out this way in the first series. But, you know, you kind of feel like Oklahoma State was going to they have a good front seven, but they're going to make us prove that we can throw the ball. So they were bringing a lot of guys to stop the run and pretty much putting man de- man defense, man coverage behind us. And that's exactly what they were trying to exploit in that first drive. You know, throwing some balls deep, trying to exploit that man coverage, which it kind of worked, but we didn't really bring any in any of those deep throws. And I feel like after that, even if we were getting by them, they probably didn't feel too threatened by our deep passing game. Um, so that just allowed them to to key in on the run and then start keying in on some pass rushing as well uh, when we were kind of in a passing mode. So I feel like, you know, they kind of knew what they were going to do on defense and we had a plan to beat it. We just couldn't really execute that plan and it just kind of snowballed from there. So, yeah, there, we did draw up quite looking back on it. We did draw up quite a few schemes and passing routes that got open in the man coverage. Uh, we just didn't see it. There was a few wheel routes that could have been touchdowns that we weren't even looking at for Deuce Vaughn. Um, several several other, other guys, When in hindsight, you're like, wow, that guy, he got open against man. That's what we were trying to go for. But our quarterback either didn't see it or didn't have time to throw it. So, Yeah, I think the original question was, like, do you think Lewis – you know, or I, I guess the original question was like, essentially, did either of them do anything to gain any separation? And they both took steps back. I think, you know, obviously both had a pretty untimely turnover, but, you know, kind of, kind of like I said earlier, and Alex, you really just alluded to it. Like if that play to Garber goes differently, or if Knowles can haul in one of those long shots on that for like, I think we're looking at Howard's day much differently. Like, unfortunately, his whole day was defined by that, you know, just comedy of errors. Not necessarily all on him. It was a bad snap. Still hit him in the hands. He wasn't in the end zone when the ball hit the ground. The ball ended up in the end zone. I mean, yes, like a lot of it's on him, but it wasn't all on him. I'll admit it. But 
if one you know if 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 someone else can step up and make a play, you know, we're probably having a much different conversation about Will Howard's day overall. But yeah, I don't know that I think probably in terms of standing there exactly where they were entering the day. And if we get a couple of those deeper passes against that man coverage, Oklahoma State might have to change up their, you know, their defense and absolutely. Pop, and then that opens up the run game, you know, like a couple of big catches on those deeper throws in the first drive could have changed the game completely, you know. They might have to start playing a little more zone. They might have to drop a guy back, and then that opens up things for the running game for us, and we might get the running game rolling a little bit. So, but if teams just know we can't throw the ball, then it doesn't matter how good of a running attack we have. It's not going to work. I'll go ahead and state the obvious here, but if you are looking at a Kansas State box score and you see that the Wildcats have more passing attempts than rushing attempts, that's a pretty good indication of a Wildcat loss. This Courtney Messingham offense, with the way it is currently engineered, is not one that is designed to efficiently move the ball down the field through the air. It, it just is not. We've talked at length about the concerns in the wide receiver room. In this game in particular, you are, we were also down a, a pretty key weapon in Daniel Amater Baby at tight end. And when you run for just 2.5 yards a carry on 25 carries, Kansas State wasn't beating anybody, regardless of who was under center. And I, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and entertain some of our, our fans out there who feel like Jake Rubley is the answer. Y'all, I, I, I find it comical that we as fans look at four stars on rivals and we just say, oh, you got to play him. He's better than anything else that we got in that, in that position group right now. The coaches see this kid every day. They see him every day and they know who is prepared and who is ready for the stage and who is not. And I guess, like I said, I'll entertain the question here. Do you guys feel that Jake Rubley can give this offense anything at this point? You know, obviously we haven't been at practice, but like it is worth noting that like the kid hasn't taken a snap in an actual live game in months. I mean, he only played what two games of his senior season in high school before the Iowa Athletics Association essentially screwed him out of the rest of his senior year. I mean, I don't know what kind of, obviously I know he's been working out. I don't know what kind of true football shape he's in, but you know, he's still a true freshman. Like it, you would think if, if there was any inkling that he could help us within the coaching staff, you'd think they'd be giving him a look right now. But like the fact that they won't even mention him by name in press conferences, I think is probably pretty telling. Yeah. I don't even know if he's fourth string. I mean, I know they like that Marsh kid that's a walk on. Yeah. I mean, he might be the next one up if everyone so, else down. Rubley did make the trip to Stillwater. Marsh did not. Okay. For what it's worth. Yeah. That is true, but at the same time, they were saying that's probably because I don't I don't understand this at all, but they said because Rubley was probably running the scout team for the week. I don't know why he makes the trip in that situation, but that clarification was made to say that Rubley was behind Marsh, even though he did travel. I don't know why you need to bring your scout team quarterback <laughs> to an away game, 
but that's <laughs> that's what was uh, clarified on that that point. I know quarterback's a demanding position. I'm not so naive to to not recognize it, but I just feel again that so many of our fans have outlandish and wildly unrealistic expectations of of that particular position. Another play that comes to mind on that front too is the the Jaron Lewis interception late in the first half. And I'll just go ahead and briefly unpack that. Oklahoma State has this play perfectly defensed. They're, they're, the, the, the defensive back and linebacker who are in coverage have Landry Weber bracketed. The linebacker's moving laterally with Jaron Lewis, like looking, like staring him in the eyes as he is moving toward, as Jaron Lewis is rolling out and moving towards the, the far sideline. There's a DN chasing Lewis. This play is exceptionally well defensed. And I have seen people attacking Landry Weber for not coming back to the ball, for giving up on the route. I've seen people frustrated and upset with Jaron Lewis because he even threw the pass to begin with. If you want to throw the bullshit loser mentality thing at me, fine, go ahead and do so. But I'll just be forthcoming here in in my analysis. This is a third-team quarterback taking his 20th-some-odd snap as a college QB throwing to a wide receiver who has been a reserve in that position group his entire time pretty much at Kansas State. I'll just be honest, I don't have very high expectations of anything positive happening when those two are trying to connect. And we have people who feel like there should be a Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski-level connection between those two guys. Again, you you have to take a step back and be realistic. Could Landry Weber have maybe given more of an effort on that play? Maybe. I don't know. I think Landry Weber, one, was probably surprised that Jaron even threw the ball. And I think, to a degree, Jaron was probably surprised that he was able to put it in a position where anybody could could break on it, just given where he was on the field. This was very close to the boundary. I, I was, again, I, I was shocked that Oklahoma State... Uh, the defender was even able to to get in and make the INT on that play. But at, at the end of the day, the game was still 31 to 10 at that point. There was roughly a minute 30 left in the first half. The, the best case scenario there for me is that Landry does somehow, some way get back to the sideline, makes the catch, picks up roughly, let's say, three yards, maybe four your offense is still then confronted with a third down and and six or more, and you inevitably will have a, a Jim Knowles defense that is going to be running press coverage on the outside and likely bringing extra defenders to try and disrupt timing on that third down play. So in my eyes, chances are you're, you're, the best case scenario there is K-State manages to retain possession. They probably are forced into an incompletion on third down and they kick the field goal, you know, a minute and 13 seconds before they did at, like they did at the gun. It, it didn't matter much in the grand scheme of things to me. And again, you can be frustrated with the play of the quarterbacks. I'm, I'm not going to try and tell you that anybody played an exceptional game. I'm just saying that there are far more pervasive issues with this offense 
that are not just limited to the quarterback position. We, we need to have a much larger conversation about play design, personnel, execution. There's a lot more that goes into this than simply everything needs to fall on the quarterback. You, you can't have that short-sighted NFL mentality of, I just have to get a quarterback and everything's fixed. It's, it's, if it were that simple, there'd be a lot of great college football teams. Now, one quarterback that did have a good game uh, on this past Saturday was Spencer Sanders. And unfortunately, now we will have to talk about the unit that I think more people were frustrated with was the defense. Uh, Spencer Sanders, we all felt had regressed, I guess is the best word. Nobody had really come in feeling impressed with his play through the first couple of games. He was held out due to COVID protocols at the beginning of the season. He has a day against this Kansas State defense, throws for 344, third, uh, third highest uh, single game total for passing yards for him. I don't really know what unit to call out here just because I felt like there was no no unit that really held up its end of the bargain in this game for Kansas State. Uh, defensive line got worked over pretty well. Uh, secondary was struggling to even be in position to make tackles. Obviously, when you have a quarterback that throws for nearly 350 yards, that's pretty good indication of that. I guess, Alex, I'll, I'll start with you. What, what Where did things go south for this K-State defense, and, and where were, were the biggest shortcomings in your eyes? Well, I think that we definitely just did not have a good game plan on how they were going to attack us. Um, I feel like Oklahoma State kind of read what we like to do on defense perfectly and attacked it very well. That first play um, of the game from their offense, you know, our defense has been filming themselves pretty good this year, especially that defensive line, and they play into our aggressiveness and throw us a double, you know, you look to the right, then went back to the left on that screen, and they got a huge play out of it. And then from there, it was just kind of, I don't know, just – our safeties were too deep. We were playing too soft to coverage. Our front was too shallow. You know, they were just living behind our linebackers and in front of our safeties on the passing game. Like he throws for 344, but I don't remember any ball going more than maybe 15 yards down the field in the air. It was just right in that zone, that soft zone. So, you know, I feel like our front our front was playing a little too aggressive and our, our secondary was playing a little too shallow. And it just gave them so much zone in the middle. The other aspect of it is uh, our defense hasn't really seen a dual threat quarterback this year. That's something that we have struggled with in the past. He didn't, you know, Spencer Sanders didn't run the ball a whole lot, but having that ability uh, to read a defender and pull the ball and take it in, you know, just kind of gave our defense some fits and they didn't really react to it very well. Um, I want to give him credit for the second half, but being there and watching the game, it honestly just felt like um, Oklahoma State was just running the clock out in the second half to, to me. And we were told by one of our Oklahoma State guys that that's exactly what they would do, <laughs> that if they got any lead, they were just going <laughs> to run the clock out on us the whole second half. So, Yeah, Sanders did look really good out there. I mean, he was really accurate, but that had a lot to do with the fact that we were getting very little pressure on him. I mean, that soft zone we were running, he was just carving up all day. 
It looked like our defenders were on skates anytime they tried to run a screen play. Uh, I think we really missed Khalid Duke out there. Just, you know, almost no pass rush, rush whatsoever. Um, you know, Spencer Sanders trying to run did get stopped one time by uh, Daniel Green on a really nice play. But, of course, they call targeting on him on a pretty questionable play, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah in and, general, and better, what did you think about that? About the targeting play in particular? Yes. I think he got stuck between a rock and a hard place. And in real time, Alex, I think you said it too. Like in real time, you know, I basically thought like, crap, I hope they don't review that because like no flags thrown in the moment. There's really no reaction from anyone on the field. Then you hear the whistle blow and you're like, are you kidding me with this call? But it's like, yeah, it, I don't know. You know, I think Sanders ducked his head into it too. That's a no win situation for the defender. Pretty bad call. I mean, I, there's there's really no other way to put it. I think you know you you can make a you could definitely make a case that you know the, the targeting he got called for in the Stanford game was legit, but I don't think that was the case at all here. Uh, you know, fortunately, it did happen before halftime, so there's no bearing past that night. But at least you know in terms of direct playing time. But I do worry, and I've seen a couple people say this on the boards as well. Is he now labeled? as, you know, someone that officials need to keep a super close eye on. Because if they're already calling ticky-tack stuff like that, targeting, you know, that that could be a legitimate problem, especially at a position where we really, really need that guy on the field. You certainly do hope Daniel Green does not become a marked man by Big 12 officiating crews. And I'm just going to be honest and trying to be objective here and take my homer hat off. I've The targeting call in the Stanford game, in my eyes, was questionable. This one was perhaps even less egregious in my eyes. And quite frankly, as if I'm looking at this through the lens of somebody who's a defensive coordinator or or any kind of defensive position coach, I don't know what else you can tell your players to do in that scenario. Daniel Green saw what he was going to hit. He broke down, braced for the collision, and then... Sanders kind of turns at the like at the last instant. It, it was it was unfortunate because I I don't feel again that that was in the spirit of the rule of targeting. I know they want to eliminate potentially debilitating collisions, and and I I just don't feel like that was Daniel Green trying to be malicious with the intent to hurt. That 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 was just my opinion on it. I, uh, truthfully, I thought the one by Jaron McPherson <laughs> might have warranted a little bit more consideration, but neither here nor there. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the officiating in this game. It, it wasn't the reason Kansas State lost. Daniel Green will be back in full capacity for the Oklahoma game. Again, it's all a moot point. I, I do want to discuss the second half effort that we got from this defense. They got rung up in the first 30 minutes, 331 yards of total offense for Oklahoma State, 8.5 yards per play. I know inserting Tay Martin back into the lineup at wide receiver was very clearly a, a big boost for them. He ends up with nine catches for 100 yards in this contest, really just abused Julius Brents and other members of the Kansas State secondary but the group does seemingly 
adjust and I use that term very loosely here and maybe that's an opportune time to ask you guys how you felt about the the second half effort was this a matter of Kansas State truly adjusting or was this much more an instance of Oklahoma State throttling down from fourth gear down to second gear and just trying to get out with a win well I just don't want to give my true opinion that I don't necessarily think the defense did much different in the second half like yeah we still got to stop them they're still they're still trying to move the ball but their goal is to move the ball and and burn clock more than anything so um and like i you know just being there that's just how it felt the whole second half was they were going to play safe they're not gonna you know give us any turnovers to give us any boost because they know that we're probably not scoring 31 points with our offense. Um, that being said, the defense definitely made plays. They could have gone into that offense to, to waste time and still, you know, crammed it down our throats and scored more points on us. But, you know, the defense still stepped up and um, they played the team that was that Oklahoma state was putting there in the second half and they didn't give up any points. So, you know, you got to look at results sometimes and they did what they needed to do in the second half. So the fact that we had an Oklahoma state fan tell us exactly what was going to happen, that they were just (laughs) going to go completely conservative once they got a lead. I mean, that's just the only thing that I was thinking of while it was happening. I mean, you know, the frustrating thing about it. Sorry, Clint. No, I'm done. The, the frustrating thing about it is that they were able to go conservative with only an 11-point lead and essentially the entire second half. I think I said earlier, but, like, we were down 11. We might as well have been down 50. Like, it, there, there was just absolutely no chance that we were going to erase a double-digit lead. So, like you guys have alluded to, why would they give us any extra opportunities, you know, for, you know, our one touchdown in the second half was on a busted play. Why would they give us any opportunities to replicate that in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, K-State's defense, as we said, does bow up in the second half. Uh, they forced four three and outs, a couple of missed field goals, uh, pokes only two of nine on third down in that half. But again, Oklahoma also uh, Oklahoma State rather possessed the ball for almost 20 minutes of <laughs> the second half. So that tells you, again, they were able to achieve what they were ultimately trying to do out there. Uh, on the flip side for the Kansas State offense, though, uh, God, this is brutal. Three plays, three yards, punt. Three plays, eight yards, punt. Four plays, four yards, downs. Three plays, 85 yards, touchdown, of course, on the broken play to Deuce Vaughn. Three plays, negative five yards, punt. Three plays, six yards, punt. Three plays, negative 12 yards, punt. Um, it, it, it was brutal watching this offense try to execute in the second half. Now, we touched on it again. A lot of those offensive elements uh, of the game plan kind of went out the window where Coaches very clearly didn't want Jaron Lewis running the ball. Deuce Vaughn's been bottled up. Jim Knowles bottled him up last year with a scheme that where they held the deuce to just 40 yards on 17 carries. This year, only 22 yards again on 13 carries. So, it, it, as we said, it, it was just not K-State's day. I do have to give some credit to a couple of guys, and I think this is a good opportunity, though, uh, to segue into our awards. Unless you guys have any other uh, parting thoughts on this particular game nope 
flush it, let's move on. Okay, so uh, time for our weekly awards. And uh, man, did we have to do a little bit of digging here uh, this past week. Um, so we'll start off with the team MVP, the Michael Bishop Award for the Oklahoma State Contest. And we're going to throw a big time curveball here. And Clint, this is your boy, and I, I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, we're going to give it to the punter, Ty Zentner. Uh, you know, this guy had to um, split time last year, and he's become the full-time punter this year. He's had a few ups and downs, but he had a phenomenal game here against Oklahoma State. Seven punts, 349 yards. That's a 49.9-yard average, uh, which includes a punt that I believe w went only about 34 yards that he pinned him inside the 10. Uh, three of those uh, punts were inside the 20. Um, just a great uh, day from him, making sure that the uh, Oklahoma State offense did not get good starting field position. Yeah, average starting field position for the Pokes was their 24, so no real decided edge in that department. But again, K-State's defense needed all the help that it could get, and uh, Zentner certainly did his part in terms of making them go the distance on those fields so he was he was he had i know he had one that he hit really bad against nevada but clearly came back in a good way so good to see him bounce back and again special teams really one of the lone bright spots for this kansas state team uh, against oklahoma state so again ty zentner our michael bishop award winner for week number four we'll move next to offensive mvp and Nutter, we already touched on it. While he was bottled up quite a bit in the running game, Deuce Vaughn, really the, the lone bright spot for this Kansas State offense, not a surprise. Yeah, um, I think only a guy of Deuce's caliber can turn a whiffed block into a highlight reel touchdown. Um, part of the reason he was so open on that busted play from Lewis is he uh, essentially tried to undercut a blitzer, uh, whiffed on it entirely, was actually on his back. Uh, the guy he was trying to block ended up being one of the guys to pull Lewis down. But because of that, he was unaccounted for because he was not really a receiver on the play. Um, credit to Landry Weber on the play for for springing him downfield. But, yeah, I mean, that's obviously, you know, deuce in space is always going to be super dangerous, and he proved why. So wasn't able to get it going on the ground, but he was able to, you know, at least get the numbers uh, – Get the numbers. Um, I think he had five receptions. So, I mean, he was able to still, you know, make himself a factor in the game. Yep. Five catches, uh, excuse me, catches for 73 yards. And a majority of those yards, though, coming on that one reception uh, in which he was knocked down, but got up and took that pass the distance. So, Deuce Vaughn, hopefully bouncing back in a big way this coming Saturday against Oklahoma. He obviously carved up the Sooners pretty good last season, so we'll keep our fingers crossed that we get a similar effort against OU and Alex Grinch's defense. We'll move next to our Mark Seminole Award for the defensive MVP. And Alex, we did have a little bit of debate on this, but we ultimately ended up going uh, with a guy who has not received an award yet this year, Nick Allen. Right. So Nick Allen, uh, he plays most of the second half or pretty much all the second half after um, Daniel Green gets ejected from the game. So he's kind of his his uh, replacement there. He uh, tied a team high with 10 tackles, um, you know, played pretty well. He also is a guy that Kleiman will say he, he's in on all the uh, special teams plays as well. Um, so kickoff return, kick uh kick coverage and punt return, punt coverage, all that good stuff. 
so he's a guy that's all over the field and, you know, uh, probably didn't play a whole lot in the first half when our defense gave up a bunch of points. So who knows? Nick Allen's the key for those second half uh, shutouts that are our, our defense defensive rallies. I was going to say that's a blur right. right there. Yeah. And um, I, I do have to mention that this this was very close in, in everyone's mind because Cody Fletcher, I think, again, we we can't sell his performance short he he was the guy with whom uh nick allen tied for tackles cody fletcher also with 10 stops uh just mr reliable but again we're going to give it to nick allen for all of his duty the ancillary duties and special teams but also the way that he contributed uh when having to step in in a tough spot for daniel green when k-state knew that it was going to need to put the clamps down in the second half if it wanted to have any shot of getting back into this game and, and credit to Nick Allen for helping the defense get all and rack up all those stops in the second half. So we'll move next to our newcomer, our uh, Arthur Brown award winner for week number four here. And this again, where we were in a position where we, we didn't really see uh, there, there were not plays made by very many guys because uh, a, a lot of these newcomers reside in the secondary. Uh, but Clint, we, we did land on one uh, in Sincere Mason. Yeah, you know, like you said, we just didn't have a lot to choose from this game. Uh, Mason seemed like he played pretty well. Uh, he only came away with a couple tackles. He did have a pass breakup which um, you could argue probably should have been an interception. He uh, went up for it, kind of had it, and then lost it as he went out of bounds. He did complete the catch, but he was out of bounds by then. Um, You know, there's not a lot of great players that come to mind for this game. So we went with Sincere Mason kind of by default. Yeah, it was it was tough sledding and slim pickings this past Saturday. Um, and again, don't want to harp too much on the effort that we saw from the guys, but it was it was tough. Um, I'll I'll jump back to our our next award here, our David Allen Award for Special Teams Player of the Week. And uh, Alex, this is pretty much a, a no brainer with uh, with Ty Zentner being awarded the Team MVP. Again, if you get Team MVP, you cannot receive another distinction so this one pretty obvious we got to go with Malik Knowles yeah Malik Knowles gets that 99 yard touchdown uh kick return for a touchdown that you know we we went down thought we had a pretty good drive had to settle for a field goal defense immediately gets up a touchdown then Malik comes in says well let's take the lead back and you're feeling pretty good about the game um that's probably about the last time in the game that we felt good about the game but you know, obviously, special teams touchdowns are always nice to have. Um, raise your hand if you thought we would lose with a special teams touchdown <laughs> and a second and a second half shutout. Lose a game. Oh, uh, if you told me the the way that that first few minutes played out with us driving down the way that we did, getting the special teams TD, I was like, okay, this is this is the recipe right here. This is exactly what yep. we needed. Anyways, yeah, I th- I thought for sure who who's gonna think we lost a game where we shut out the other team all second half and we had a special teams touchdown? Not gonna happen a lot of times, uh, but we do get that touchdown makes the you know game a little closer. Um, actually, gives us the lead at that time. Um, the only knock on Malik Knowles for his you know definitely not a you can't knock the guy, but he does take the next kickoff from. 
deep into the end zone and we get pinned back deep. Um, can't knock the guy. He just returned one for a touchdown. He's going to uh, see what else he can do. Um, the only thing with those plays is sometimes I feel like you're so deep in the end zone, your blockers don't think you're going to bring the ball out. So Well, and he hesitated before he brought it out, too. Yeah, that's one thing is usually those don't work because your blockers just assume you're going to get the, you know, and then they're like, oh, shit, I forgot to, you know, kind of gave up on my block because I thought it was going to be a touchback. But um, so that's a little bit of a knock. Maybe without that, he might have been the team MVP, uh, maybe with a few extra catches as well. But definitely a good play on the the the, the kick return there. I do want to add on the kick return that he scored on, um, you know, a lot of times it's just a product of really good blocking and the blocking's obviously going to have to set up to spring him. But he had a couple of really nice, you know, shucking a couple defenders, you know, pretty sick stiff arm in space. So, like, he definitely did work on that return. Oh, yeah. He made he made a cut to kind of go opposite that, you know, really sprung him. Um, yeah, like you said, it wasn't just a, a well-blocked. It was it was well-blocked enough for him to have a good return, but he made um, he made some good plays to turn that into a touchdown for sure. Yeah, at one point he's completely yeah. enclosed by four – Oklahoma State players mm-hmm. and just him with his long strides he just zooms right past him and then stiff arms the kicker on his way to the end zone yeah you don't typically see kick returns like that at least big time kick returns where the guy takes it kind of goes into the middle then weaves his way back outside usually once you go into the wedge you kind of that's where the play <laughs> pretty much dies but he did a great job of shedding guys and again we you know Malik doesn't look like the strongest guy but man he he had some nice stiff arms and again that long stride it's always pretty to watch and and why I, I was listening on the radio at that point in time why had a great call of that one uh not listening on 610 because those assholes again continue to not air our games in kansas city i've got some thoughts about that but likewise, uh, a couple buddy, more awards <laughs> well one one couple quick more thing. awards this- one quick thing on this is just this type of play is just how why we all get so excited about Malik Knowles when he has the ball in his hand. It's just why is it so hard to get the ball in his hands, you know? Just once he has that possession of the ball, he does amazing things with it. It's just such a struggle to get him the ball. Anyways. <laughs> Gotta see the hands this week, Malik. Gotta see the hands this week for sure. Um couple more to uh, wrap up the uh, week four awards here. The unsung hero, uh, Nutter, again, some some debate on this one. And we're going to go special teams again. Um, Tayton Winkle, been very reliable for Kansas State this season. And again, on a day where the offense struggles mightily and, you know, just barely eclipses the 200-yard mark, there's not a whole lot of positives to take away on that side of the ball. Tayton Winkle, though, on the other hand, reliable. And when K-State did get down and had a couple of drive stall, he was able to put a couple of field goals through. Yeah, you always worry about how a kicker might respond after a bad miss. And, you know, he it's the only miss he has on the season. There was that chip shot that he that he pushed against, or rather that he pulled against uh, SIU. But I believe he's three for three since then. You know, he hit another one from outside of 40 in the second half on Saturday. So, yeah, I think he's, what, maybe... Five of six, six of seven on the year now. Um, Five of six and 14 for 14 for extra points. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's always a little bit of concern when you're replacing a multi-year starter at kicker, but he's he's uh, really been up to the challenge so far. So, yeah, that's 
definitely been a bright spot and, you know, good to know that he could be the guy for a few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Clint, appreciate you having that, those stats locked and loaded, my man. I know you're a big special teams aficionado. So <laughs> uh, last one, the moment of the game, uh, we've already uh, touched on this, really probably the lone bright spot offensively uh, outside of that first drive. Uh, the play in which uh, Jaron Lewis, the pocket has completely collapsed, defenders converging on him, and he somehow, some way manages to find, the, again, the smallest guy on the field who had, as Nutter touched on, gotten knocked down by defender, popped back up, caught the pass, took it all the way to the end zone for Kansas State, got a, a, a couple of nice downfield blocks, Landry Weber helping him finish off that play and get into the end zone. Uh, Deuce Vaughn has uh, really, he up until that point, he had been fairly quiet in the passing game. So it was nice to see Kansas State incorporate him more in that capacity this past week. Um, and, and again, it's obviously something we all hope we, we continue to see a little bit more of uh, as we move forward here. But Deuce Vaughn with that reception uh, is the moment of the game. So he is our Trey Walker award winner here for week number four. So that will wrap up our awards here for week number four. We'll touch briefly on the Big 12 games, uh, and then we'll dive into our projections for the upcoming contest against Oklahoma. And for Big 12 play, we'll go ahead and, and start off with the game that I think, while it wasn't maybe the headliner that, uh, you know, in that it wasn't played at night, didn't have the primetime slot like Oklahoma, West Virginia, I do think we have to touch on uh, Iowa State dropping yet another game in which they if you look at the box score they had no business losing um guys are we are we stunned here that that iowa state is off to a two and two start losing to baylor the way that they did i wouldn't have bet on that being the outcome but no i'm not stunned iowa state sucks they always have they always will <laughs> i think that's a pretty good way to put it and frankly i know when you look at the stat sheet like you said iowa state had no business losing but honestly that like Baylor had them pretty well at arm's length most of the game. So it, uh, I don't know that I'm stunned they're two and two, but I'm kind of stunned that they've really not been in to, you know, to both of their losses. Like Iowa pretty well ran the table in that game. And like, like I said, that the, the final score in the Baylor game was close, but it, I don't think the score is really indicative of the game. Honestly, I think Baylor pretty well handled them most of the day. I almost watched none of this and haven't even really looked at the stats or the, you know, even the uh, kind of the game summary at all. But I am on record saying that I thought Iowa State was very overrated coming into this year. So um, it just felt like a team that their rating was based on very small margins and knowing their quarterback is prone to turnovers you know, just about things are bound to start going, uh, going the other way for him. So I'm not too surprised. So Baylor had a 98 yard kick return again, special teams plays, uh, late in the, about midway through the third quarter to go up 28, 16, uh, Iowa state cut it to five by the start of the fourth Baylor hit a field goal to knock it back out to eight. And then Iowa state scored with 24 seconds left, botched the two point conversion didn't recover the onside kick. So again, like it was only two points when it was all said and done, but I mean, Baylor really had them at arm's length the entire second half. 
you know, special teams looming very, very large uh, in that contest. Again, now you take out that Tristan Ebner 98-yard kick return touchdown um, after Iowa State had drawn to within 21 to 16. That that game likely goes a different way, at least in my mind. But the Tornado Birds, man, they outgained them 479 to 282, 27 first downs to 15. They own time of possession, 35 minutes, uh, and it's not like it, they turned it over a bunch of turnovers were even at one apiece. Like this is just one of those really weird ones. You look at the box score, you look at the stats and how this game played out. You just have no idea how the team that almost has 500 yards ends up losing this one. But again, Iowa state finds a way to, to eat the curb here. So Owen one start in big 12 play for the clones, Baylor four, no two and Owen big 12 play who to thunk that one. They got a pretty big one coming up this coming Saturday down in Stillwater. We'll see how that one plays out. That'll be a fun one to watch. Now, one that was not nearly as entertaining as I think a lot of people were wanting and hoping it to be was Oklahoma and West Virginia. Now, did you guys watch I this game was obviously going on at the same time as as ours. So Nutter, you're you're the only candidate here <laughs> since these two were obviously at the game in Stillwater. Did you catch any of this one? Yeah, the the final couple of minutes are actually all I saw. Um from what I remember, West Virginia had a pretty solid shot to go down and win the game, and it is escaping me how they ended up. If they ended up having to punt because of a bad snap or something like that, I think it was. Yep, that was it. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, Rattler got it done when he had to, man. Hit a couple clutch. He hit uh, he hit uh, Drake Stoops to put him in field goal range. And, uh, you know, Burkich, uh, obviously Mr. Reliable for them. That uh, That's all she wrote on that one. Yeah, 16 to 13, the final in Norman, fourth ranked Oklahoma again, surviving. Uh, and I, I for one, I, I got to say, I, I'm, I'm shocked that Oklahoma has still really struggled to just explode offensively. Yes, the Western Carolina game where they ring up 76 points on a one double A, that's that's fine. But to see them struggle these last couple of weeks against Nebraska in particular, and now against West Virginia. Now West Virginia is a pretty formidable defense, but still um, I don't think anybody really expected this Oklahoma team to be this shoddy coming out of the gate. Now uh, let's everybody fingers crossed that this is not the big neck crack game against K state where Radler goes off for five touchdowns, but um, the Sooners do manage to prevail in Norman, 16 to 13. Again, the final there. Oklahoma remains undefeated, 4-0 on the young season. Uh, another game uh, in Big 12 play. This was this got your more uh, your Saturday morning started, and uh, you pretty much see a touchdown every time you looked up in this one. Texas 70, Tech 35. Uh, we said it last week that Tech was paper tigers, and they absolutely lived up to that billing. Uh, Texas did anything and everything that they wanted. Uh, B. John Robinson, nice day rushing the ball for him. He has a buck 37 in this game. Uh, again, there's there's obviously going to be plenty of guys that ring up nice stats when you when you score 70 points. I, I honestly I, I watched this one for a couple of minutes and it just became so apparent that Texas was not going to have to sweat this game at all. Uh, from the tech perspective, I think you're probably a little bit nervous <laughs> moving forward, and uh, particularly if you're Matt Wells. Um, this was definitely not the kind of effort that you wanted to see to open up Big 12 play. And, and also, uh, Nutter, we, we did talk about this a little bit too. 
uh, with Tyler Shuck, whether or not he might be the guy, because Henry Columby, he was the one who came in last year uh, when Kansas State uh, knocked out Tech starter. I'm totally spacing on his name right now. Uh, but Henry came in, had a pretty nice day. Texas Tech, offensively, you know, can't really say they did anything horribly in this game. 35 points, 520 yards of offense. Granted, two of their turnovers were pick sixes, but it is what it is. I, I still say Tech is is heading down a, a, a less than desirable path here in Big 12 play. Uh, any other thoughts on this one on the Red Raiders? I think Matt Wells is probably not going to survive the season. That's about all, about all you can say about it. Anyone know a good realtor yeah. in Lubbock? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, road trip coming up for them. They're going to Morgantown this coming Saturday. Then they got TCU. Uh, so might be a couple weeks before that, that KU game is coming up on October 16th. But, man, that seems like a long way away if you're Texas Tech. And uh, I do just see here Tyler Shuck is out uh, for the remainder of the season. Uh, or excuse me, at least they're saying not until November, a uh, broken collarbone for him. So Texas Tech's got some got some issues here that they got to sort through. A uh, couple others here before we uh, move forward into the Oklahoma preview. The Iron Skillet, TCU, giving up 42 to the Ponies on their home field, and they end up falling 42 to 34, the final from Fort Worth. Uh, this didn't SMU is a good football team, man. They've been good for for a minute now, and uh, I was not shocked at all to see this. But I, to me, this says a lot more about TCU. I think defensively, you know, everybody likes to say the, the, the calling card of the Horn Frogs. So it's Gary, Gary Patterson defense. Oh, they're always going to be rock solid, lights out, man. They they've. They gave up 32 to a pretty mediocre Cal offense. Now you get rung up for 42 by SMU on your home field. I I have some concerns about my defense if I'm TCU. And I mean, is it? Do you guys feel like maybe things are starting to get stale in Fort Worth with Gary Patterson? I feel like we're verging into that territory. I'd say it's been a trend Revenge. for the last several years, and uh, definitely not looking looking good there with Patterson, especially if defenses, the defensive side of the ball is starting to struggle, then that's kind of a big red flag to me. I think maybe the more newsworthy things, what happened after the game. Did you guys see that? I heard Scuffle. it kind of went off on a tirade. I didn't see it though. Well, SMU tried to plant their flag at the 50 and enough TCU players had not gone into the locker room yet that it, it looked like it got a little hairy there on the field for a little bit. Wasn't there something about one of the SMU players hitting uh, Jerry Kill with a helmet? You didn't hear that part? I know. I missed that detail. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any video evidence of it, but that's something that Gary Patterson was saying happened. Will this lead to Jerry Kill's fourth retirement? Is that what you're <laughs> Oh, man. Well, knowing the number of people that attend TC football games, there were probably only five fans in the stands for that one. And yeah, that's that's not a good look, though, for anybody involved there. And uh, man, 595 yards of offense for the Ponies in this one. And they also give up three turnovers in this game. But man, TCU, I think a lot of people had them as kind of the dark horse pick this year. That that, that was the, this was the team everybody was saying, "Oh, Gary Gary always has the bounce back year." And I, I think that's 
that's again another one that's you start yeah you really do need to start thinking about Travon Boykin was six years ago and you know and yeah then 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 they dipped in 16 then they had Kenny Hill come in and they won 10 again but really since Kenny Hill they, they've been a pretty middling football team and it's certainly looking like this is going to be another year in which the frogs are are probably in the middle of the pack in the big 12 and maybe a content probably a bowl game uh worthy team yes but probably jockeying for position with the rest of the middle for those teams that are going to those six win seven win bowl games so i, I don't know much if there's much higher ceiling for this tcu squad than that so again 42 to 34 the final again from fort worth in that one and then the final game to touch on ku is becoming a very good two and a half quarter team uh and then they just forget how to play so duke uh they they go punch for punch with duke and are actually leading at halftime 24 to 21 uh but duke then rings them up for 31 points in the second half and runs away with this one 52 to 33 is the final from durham so the Hawks now one and three on the season and 0 and two away from the friendly confines of Lawrence, Kansas. So that was week number four in the Big 12. We now get set to turn our focus to week number five. Kansas State will play host to the 4-0 and sixth ranked Oklahoma Sooners. Lincoln Riley squad traveling out of Oklahoma for the first time this season. And the Sooners are laying 10 and a half coming into Manhattan in their first true road game of 2021. Uh, that line a little bit low, and that's at least in my eyes, just knowing what I feel I do know about the quarterback position. Chris Kleiman's publicly come out this week and said that Skyler is doubtful for this Saturday and I think everybody every reasonable fan out there I should qualify that knew that the Oklahoma game was a bit ambitious in terms of a return date for him I'll put it to you guys though is there any thought in your head that this is a bit of gamesmanship by by Kleiman I am absolutely not writing off the possibility of Skyler playing yep same I was gonna say he probably doesn't know whether Skyler is gonna play or not but why why even give that as an option? You know, just I don't expect him to play, but obviously on Friday they're gonna be like, What do you think? Can you play tomorrow? So yeah, we, we don't know yet. He doesn't know yet, I don't think. I did see John Kurtz tweet out a video during Oklahoma State pregame. Skylar Thompson was down on the field making some throws during warm-ups. He did have a pretty sizable brace on his knee at that time. He didn't look to be wincing or struggling to to step into throws so that in and of itself was encouraging but in the same breath i think a lot of fans are going to look at that little couple second snippet and assume that well surely if he's got the brace on and he can do all these things then he can absolutely start for us next week i'm i'm not a medical professional chances are you're not an orthopedic surgeon our loyal listener (laughs) so with all that said, I'm going to continue to operate under the assumption that Will Howard will start or Jaron Lewis. I, I know we we didn't really talk about Will Howard getting nicked up all that much during the recap. Um, Kleiman did mention that he expects Will Howard to be available this Saturday, so I'm just going to assume that Will Howard will be QB1, followed by Lewis. If Skyler can go and he physically feels like he's not jeopardizing himself, then 
by all means, man, let it rip. I would love to see him come out there and have an opportunity to be the sooner killer for a third straight year. But as I said, if he feels like it's a risk for him physically, and when you put that into the context of the longevity of the season and how much the schedule does soften up in the back half of the year, I would much rather have Skyler at whatever his physical ceiling is for the last six to seven games than rushing him back purely for the purposes of trying to pull a big upset at home. You, you really are playing with house money this week because you're a double-digit underdog at home. I think our fans need to look at that and, and look, a, look a little bit deeper into that storyline right there. Um, regardless of who was under center this week, Kansas State's going to need to see a big bounce-back effort from this offensive line, and it's going to come against a, a very formidable Alex Grinch defense. Uh, they've been stingy against the run thus far this year. They're 15th nationally at stopping the run, only allowing 79 yards per game. Clint, I'll start with you. What what are we going to need to see from this offensive line in order for Kansas State to have a shot this Saturday? Uh, I, I do think they can bounce back. They played a pretty poor game against Oklahoma State, but so much of the running attack not working had to deal had to do with the passing attack not working and vice versa. I mean, you just need uh, both of them to, you know, at least be somewhat of a threat to get the other one kind of rolling. They just, you know, work in tandem with this the style of offense that we run. Um, so if we just have a little bit of success with both, I think, you know, it'll start opening itself up and, um, give a chance for our playmakers to really do something. I'd also say that I haven't watched a lot of Oklahoma this year, but typically their defenses are not the greatest. Um, I was pretty impressed by Oklahoma state's defense. Hopefully that's because they're really good and not just cause we played very bad against them. So, um, I would tend to think that there's a little bit of drop off on the defense we're playing. Uh, but I still think, you know, we got to dial up some, some easier routes, some easier completions. Um, we got to get the ball to deuce out in space, you know, as much as we love deuce and he could do it all. I do think we're tending to use him way too much as a inside the tackles type runner instead of, you know, handing them, handing the ball off to him, in space and getting the ball to him on, you know, the, the one good play we had on offense was he wasn't even intended to be a receiver on, uh, but we got him the ball in space and he did his thing. So that's going to be something we need to, to, to be better on with the play calls. So um, I hope we don't see another week where it feels like the offensive game plan sucks and that the play calls suck, and then we go watch all the replays, and it's a, you know, this is like the the thing I've been hating, and it's been going on, you know, not just this season, but re-watching a game and analyzing it and saying, well, it was actually a well-designed play. It just wasn't executed properly. <laughs> that is something that is getting so freaking old. If it's not being executed properly, you have to change the scheme. You have to change the plays to make something that is easier to execute or just, you know, get the execution on par to, to what it needs to be. So. 
Um, one thing worth noting, Alex was talking about, you know, Oklahoma's defense. They did hold Letty Brown last week to 56 yards rushing. Um, but uh, it is worth noting that, you know, most of the damage Deuce did to them last year was, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield. You know, uh, Keon Mosey had a great catch out of the backfield that went for a big chunk play. Like, so I think those are the things that we're going to have to keep in mind. Like, we're going to have to get Deuce incorporated out of the backfield something that Will Howard has liked to do in his time. So even if he's the guy, um, you know, I just, I hope we're able to get him a little more involved and not by accident. <laughs> um, yes. You know, and I will say, I wanted to say it earlier that that, that touchdown he scored last week in Stillwater, that was either super heads up by Lewis and Vaughn or the best fake out decoy play I've ever seen drawn up. Now Messingham is a wizard. We just, uh, we haven't known it this whole time. Um, I, I think it's pretty simple for Kansas State this coming Saturday. Uh, simple in the sense that we, we know what needs to occur for this offense to have any shot of stressing Oklahoma. Grinch is a great defensive mind, and Oklahoma has improved by leaps and bounds since they parted way with Mike Stoops a couple years ago. Grinch is not going to respect Will Howard nor Jaron Lewis's ability to pass the ball. And until K-State proves that it can connect on some deep shots and stretch any defense vertically, the Wildcats are going to continue to struggle to move the ball. That's And I, again, that's a fairly obvious observation, but I really think that's all that this game comes down to is whether or not you know, if it's Will Howard who's starting, if it's Jaron Lewis, or if, you know, if we do see, you know, the man, the myth, the legend, Skylar Thompson, give it a go this Saturday, regardless of who it is, K-State's going to have to hit some deep shots to, to soften up the defense, to give their offensive line a chance to create some creases, some running lanes for Deuce Vaughn and whatnot. That's what's going to have to occur. And Kleiman talked about it during the midweek presser that, They've actually considered, and I, I certainly hope that they will do good on good and have one wide receivers running up against ones in the secondary because you, you need to have guys like like Echo, Denson, Brents, Gardner, whoever it may be. These guys need to be running up and jamming everybody in our wide receiver room and because, quite frankly, they're, they're going to have to know that they're going to be asked to make catches in traffic. They're going to have to make plays when the ball is thrown their way. And when you're doing that against scout team, it's you're obviously going to have success and you're going to feel good about your, your preparation and your game planning, but it's obviously going to be a completely different animal when you're going up against Oklahoma caliber athletes. To that point, I, I certainly hope that the coaches did change their their approach and how they they prepped for this week. I think that that type of experience for the wide receivers will go a long way in helping them moving forward as well, because to this point, again, there's the timing of the passing game, the ability to make plays when the ball is thrown their way. It's all been, you know, suspect at best. And like I said, this is an offense that's not really engineered to be efficient in the passing game. But I do think if you're a coordinator worth your salt, you can find ways to to open up some some throwing lanes for your quarterback 
and to give yourself a chance to make plays in, over the top. And I think Messingham and company need to find a way to do that, obviously, sooner rather than later. Pardon the poor pun. Now, I did want to talk about another element of this game that's come up. Uh, we touched on it briefly last week with Will Howard going on the road, making his first true road start, true in the sense of not a, not a capacity crowd, but actual large crowd in the stands, true road atmosphere, dealing with noise, dealing with making audibles at the line of scrimmage uh, with the, the background and whatnot. This is also going to be the first test for Spencer Radler in that regard. Am I blowing that out of proportion, or do we think that the K-State faithful can have a any kind of an impact in the game this Saturday? I mean, this isn't his first go around. He's, I mean, he's a veteran by now. He knows, he knows the deal. Um, you know, he, if you talk to an Oklahoma fan, you know, he, he's a terrible quarterback. He needs to be benched. So <laughs> hopefully he plays up to his reputation that his own fans have for him. Not that I would ever endorse gambling on sports, but if you use a certain betting website, you would find that Spencer Rattler is plus 1,000 odds for the Heisman. That's pretty good value there, considering only Matt Corral of Old Miss and Bryce Young of Alabama are ahead of him in that department. I know Oklahoma fans are accustomed to a certain level of dynamic playmaking ability, given the recent barrage of Heisman Trophy-winning quarterbacks that this Lincoln-Riley offense has produced, but... In my eyes, I haven't really seen a huge drop-off from Spencer Radler from his freshman to sophomore season. The guy's hitting 74% of his throws, has already passed for over 1,000 yards this year, and has eight touchdowns to just three interceptions. And that's going against some pretty respectable foes. And again, Tulane is a very solid team in the G5 and the AAC, and then Nebraska and West Virginia. Again, some people, and we've obviously touched on it quite a bit, some people just have very unrealistic expectations of the quarterback position. But I think Radler is doing a damn good job for this Oklahoma offense. And I think Sooner fans will probably miss him when he leaves. But we will certainly see if Spencer is up to the task and winning on the road in the Big 12. Again, big test coming up for him and this Oklahoma team as they travel to Manhattan this coming Saturday. And with that, I think it's a good time to segue into our selections for this Week 5 game between the Wildcats and the Oklahoma Sooners. We'll start off with our Marvin Show Me More Simmons selection. This, again, goes to the player or position group unit who we want to show us more. And Nutter, why don't you go ahead and lead us off here? Yeah, I mean, I think the low-hanging fruit is, you know, whoever's taking snaps. But honestly, I'm going to go with the receivers. I think they're going to get shots again downfield. Someone's got to gain some separation. Someone's got to win a 50-50 ball. You know, a big chunk play could go a long way in kind of igniting this offense. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, you know, the, the entire receiving core on that one. I want to be a little more specific and go with Sebastian Taylor. I mean. Not just show me more, show me anything. Um, we heard that he was going to be, you know, suiting up for the first game, but on a pitch count. And then we've just barely seen him on the field at all this entire season. We're quite a few weeks into it now. Um, you know, last year against Oklahoma, he had that big uh, downfield touchdown reception. 
And uh, that's just something we've been missing this year. Want to get him involved and um, see if he can actually stretch the field like he's been able to do in the past. Has he been targeted yet? I don't think so, no. His snap count's still been super low. Like, he he really hasn't had it. Yeah. So, uh, the wide receivers slash tight ends slash running – anyone that can go out and catch a ball would be – Probably my go-to, but since uh, that's Justin's pick, I'm going to move over to the secondary. Just more broad, but as a group, just the secondary. um, They're going to get tested quite a bit. You know, they've had some decent games and getting some praise, and then they did not look very good last week against Oklahoma State. So uh, they're going to have to show up and, and play better against Oklahoma. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a tad bit apprehensive about the secondary, given how Spencer Sanders carved up that group last Saturday down in Stillwater. You certainly hope that Klanderman has a better defensive scheme devised this week for Oklahoma and Heisman hopeful Spencer Radler. I'm going to look to the offense, though, for my pick this week, and I'm not going to single out any one guy across the offensive line. It just has to be the line as a collective. That group has to be better than what we saw against Oklahoma State. That was the worst effort we've seen out of this group thus far this season. This is not a a sexy, fun team like the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel like the, the Chiefs have really just broken a lot of Kansas State fans, and they, they think and have the same level of expectations when they watch Kansas State's offense as when they watch the Chiefs' offense. This is a team that is built from the inside out. The line, while it did not have a stellar performance against Oklahoma State. The line is still the strongest position group for the offense as a whole. You have to lean on that group this week. They have to be able to open up running lanes for Deuce Vaughn, for Joe Irvin, for Jacardier if he gets in. Uh, whoever's running, uh, whoever's under center at quarterback, you know that's probably going to be some kind of an element to the game plan for Kansas State. There have to be lanes for those guys to run, excuse me, to run through. Because Kansas State, quite frankly, is not going to beat anybody when the run-to-pass ratio is skewed the way that it was last Saturday when you have 31 pass attempts to 25 rush attempts. That's just not a recipe for success at all for this Kansas State offense. They have to be able to to get back to running the ball. This Oklahoma team is stingy on that front. They only give up a little bit more than 2.3 yards per carry. But K-State's going to have to find a way. And if they cannot run the ball effectively, it'll inevitably be another long day for this Wildcat offense. With that said, let's go ahead and switch gears and go to our Ben Stonepounder Newman selections for week number five. Again, this goes to the player we expect to have a breakout performance. And Clint, why don't you go ahead and start us off there? Who's your pick? Uh, For the Stone Pounder of the Week, I'm going to go with Daniel Green. I think he's proven to be the best player on this K-State defense when he can stay on the field, when he's not getting ejected for targeting, BS targeting calls. Um, You know, I look for him to come out and, within the rules of the game, lay down some big hits and bring some pain to this Oklahoma offense. Keep your head up, I guess. Nutter? Um, Green was actually going to be my pick. So um, I will go ahead and go with a guy that came in with a crap ton of hype and, frankly, I mean, just has not really lived up to it in Julius Brents. Um, 
Oklahoma really likes to spread it around. They don't really have like a home run hitter receiver. I know Marvin Mims is kind of their deep threat. So you got to imagine they're, they're going to be, they're going to be matched up a lot this week. And, uh, I saw a stat earlier this week that said, uh, basically Brents has been one of the most targeted cornerbacks in the big 12 so far. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of times receivers are just making good plays against him, but like, I think he's going to get tested again this week and we're going to have to see him start to win some of those battles. I am going to go with Felix and Udike Uzoma. I think, uh, him and Matt Wagg. they need a big day rushing the passer. Um, defensive line kind of sucked last week against Oklahoma state. I know Matt like got, was barely in the game for whatever reasons. They, that was a tad surprising. Yeah. Yeah. It was a matchup thing. I guess they wanted to use other guys against, I don't, doesn't make sense, but, uh, you know, Felix is going to be out there and yeah, he needs to, to get in the face and make Spencer Rattler feel a little uncomfortable on Saturday. I, too, am going to go defensive line. Before I offer up my selection, I am going to throw a quick plug in for another episode of College and Kimball that you're seeing in your feed this week. I had a chance to interview Keegan Renault, who is the co-host of the Through the Keyhole Oklahoma Football Podcast. He breaks down film. He has some terrific insight. It was really fun to get his interpretation of where this Oklahoma offense is in relation to last year, where he feels like they're struggling. One area that he did point out to me is the offensive line, Spencer Radler identifying protections, knowing where to go with the football. I think that has to be an area that K-State attempts to exploit this week. I, I like to think that the Wildcats have saved some, some more exotic looks and some blitz packages specifically for this type of a game when you're going up against a high quality quarterback like Spencer Rattler. And that's going to be my pick this week. As I said, on defensive line, I'm going with Timmy Horn. We really need to see this K-State defensive line start wrecking offenses the way that it did through the first few games. And I know we rotate a lot of bodies in there, but Timmy Horn has to be an anchor for this front against Oklahoma. So my pick is Timmy Horn here for my stone pounder this week. And with that being said, I think it's time to move into our final segment of the preview here, score predictions. And Nutter, why don't you go ahead and set the stage for us here? Who you got winning this coming Saturday? I don't have a ton of confidence going into this one, especially with the unknown at who's going to be taking snaps for us. I believe we are currently 10.5-point underdogs. I'm going to go ahead and say OU covers and wins this one 24-13. to 13. Alex? Uh, I'm thinking more of like a 35 to 24 type of game. Man, I really thought you were going to say 35 to 7. Oh, man. Uh, no, 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 no. Darren Sproles is going to be in town, man. Nope, I don't like that. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going 35 to 7. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Love it. Love it. Oh wait, did uh, I, did we did did me and Clint even say who we were? Yeah. About? <laughs> I think it's pretty much implied. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, you're picking like, Oklahoma there, to win thirty-five to twenty-four. He's picking K State to win thirty-five to seven. Okay. Yeah. I think I was just gonna feel good and not pick against K State as long as we were winning, but 
after last week. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm picking OU to win it, 35 to 24. Clint, did you say you picked K State? I'm sorry. Did you? Say- yeah, I, there was never a game where I'll ever pick against K State. I mean, where is the fun in that? You know, when we get these upsets, then I'll be able to come back next week and say, I told you guys, you guys are so <laughs> fucking stupid. Bet against K-State. Well, what are you, doing? you don't need proof of that. Well, <laughs> the chip is firmly planted on Clint's shoulder. And I uh, <laughs> I got to say, I, I, I'm thinking I was very much thinking along the lines that you were Alex. Um, and I, I was stupid last week because I, I remember I, I walked back my original prediction. I thought K-State was going to lose, and then I convinced myself that K-State was going to win. And then we obviously saw the game played out. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm going to walk this one back. Uh, I've been thinking, you know, with Will Howard likely being the guy this week, I, I, I don't foresee Kansas State busting all of the plays that they did last season against Oklahoma. You think about the things that had to go right yet. Keon Mosey, you talked about Nutter getting loose on a busted coverage. You had some very shoddy tackling by Oklahoma, which shoddy tackling, yes, but also Deuce Vaughn being awesome in the open field and making guys miss and getting loose there. Uh, You had a block punt. You had the four turnovers to none. Like You you had a lot of things go right to go and and steal that game in Norman. Uh, I don't think you're going to need all of those things, those same things to go right this Saturday, because I do feel like K-State's crowd will be a factor to a degree. I do feel like this defense is going to respond after being carved up pretty good by Oklahoma State. But at the end of the day, I, I just I, I, I keep coming back to the question where are the points coming from. I, I, I still you, you have to show me that you can take a top off of a defense before I'm going to believe that this offense can actually hit some explosive plays and right now assuming operating under the assumption that Will Howard is going to be the starter. I don't really foresee K-State getting to 20 points yet again, especially against this Oklahoma defense that again is going to have this game circled up big time on their calendar with the way that they performed last year against K-State. I'm going to say the Wildcats fall Oklahoma. Give me the Sooners 31 to 17 in this game, I do feel like K-State will hang around for about three quarters, but Oklahoma ultimately ends up pulling away in this one and covering that ten and a half point line. So that is my projection for this Saturday. Certainly hoping that I am wrong. 2.30 kick in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Clint, you already touched on it. Darren Sproul is going to be recognized here. Uh, and also Jordy Nelson as well and David Allen. So a couple of honorees that are going to be recognized in this game. Uh, you can obviously already hear the stand up for the champions going on loop and the queuing up the, the screen pass touchdown. It's, it's all going to be playing to get that crowd jacked up. Um, now, hopefully weather is kind to, to Manhattan. I did see they do have thunderstorms in the forecast for Saturday. So hopefully that either uh, passes through quickly or who the hell knows, or maybe it it just ends up being rain, but they are saying potentially some thunderstorms. So hopefully weather's not too huge of a factor in Kansas State. We have a beautiful fall Saturday in Manhattan and hopefully a wildcat victory to talk about next week. So 2.30 kick on Fox proper if you do not intend on attending the game. And very quickly, we'll take a look at the Big 12 schedule and then we'll wrap things up as we always do with Clint's feel like we got to give it a name and I don't fantasy corner just sounds stupid, but I, I 
Clint, we got to workshop that. I got to be more creative here and come up with something that actually sounds original on that front. So if you think of anything better, holler at me. And we could we could probably put that out on the college and Kimball account too. I'll get to thinking. <laughs> so Big 12 for week number five, K-State, Oklahoma, the, dare I say, the headlining matchup for the conference here. Uh, now, we do still have some some pretty entertaining games uh, coming up, for the love of God. Uh, Texas going on the road to take on uh, TCU. See if the Longhorns 70-point uh, blitz that they put on Tech, if that's something that they will continue to sustain against a, again, a, and a TCU defense that has not really been up to snuff here through the first few weeks. That game is an 11 a.m. on ABC, 2.30 kick on ESPN2, Texas Tech going on the road to take on West Virginia. The ears laying seven in that contest. I think West Virginia gets right and does so in a big way after coming up just short against Oklahoma. Baylor and Oklahoma State, this is uh, another one I think that's kind of caught people by surprise. Probably weren't expecting that to be any kind of pivotal matchup in the Big 12 Conference standings early on here, but you have two teams that are combined 8-0 and 3-0 in Big 12 play. Baylor and Oklahoma State also ranked uh, 21st are the Bears, 19th is Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State will handle business in this one. I, I do feel like we, we still really don't know a ton about Baylor, uh, but that's a six o'clock kick on ESPN two. And then finally, Justin, you hit on it. Um, Iowa state breaking out their alternate crimson and blue unis for the Kansas Jayhawks here. So Iowa state at home entertaining KU six o'clock kick on FS one uh, guys. Those are our matchups. So again, Texas at TCU tech at West Virginia, Baylor at Oklahoma state, and then KU at Iowa state, anything in your mind, uh, anything jumping off the page on you with any of these games? I'm too busy thinking about a fantasy name. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is your week five slate in uh, big 12 play again, conference play now fully underway in God's conference here, the Big 12. Let's go ahead and put a bow on everything. Clint, we're going to call it Clint's Fantasy Corner for right now. But Clint, what happened in week four in fantasy? Okay, well, Alex texted me a pretty good name. Maybe he'll share it with us. Uh, Clint's Fantasy Dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I heard the word fantasy and locations of a building, and I thought dungeon. Only mildly creepy. No, I was going to say, right. I feel like we uh, we have to clear that bar in some way, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Only because right. it's, it's associated with Clint is why it's good. Yes. Anyway, all right, we had a uh, kind of a silly week in fantasy football. Uh, we had 3-0 and Jeff going up against 0-3 Justin. Jeff was number one on the waiver wire, picked up Nate Matlack, and wisely left him on his bench because he ended up getting zero points. But he also led, left uh, Khalid Duke and Reggie Stubblefield on his bench, even though we found out before the game neither one of them was going to play. What's going on, Jeff? You giving up on your your first place position there? Nope. I definitely forgot to set my lineup. I can tell you that <laughs> much. <laughs> yeah, so Jeff falls to Justin, who is 0-3, gets his first win, which I think everyone in K-State Nation probably blames you now for our loss. 
Yep, that's that's my bad, guys. I'm actually going to go ahead and bench everybody this week just to play it safe. Well, you know, you're probably going to have to put in somebody. So Jackson Neen's probably going to go off for like a 90-yard touchdown run to do that. <laughs> then I was able to defeat my nemesis, Alex. Jacardi Wright getting zero points for him. Will Howard, man, 0.8 points for you. You really struggle with those quarterbacks, Alex. My bad, everybody. <laughs> Alex, you'll be happy to know that the uh, fumble into the end zone was Jacardier's only snap. Yeah. <sighs> that, play, that was that was a 93-yard touchdown. It was going to happen. It was good. The, the Red Sea was going to part. It was there, and it just got foobarred right from the jump. I told Clint that when it happened or the next day that that he was about to get the ball and just break a tackle and go to the distance. Couldn't do it. So our points leaders for individual players, we had uh, NUDK getting 22 points with those seven tackles and a sack. Nick Allen getting those 10 tackles and half ta- tackle for loss that ended up with 21 and a half points. Deuce Vaughn had a pretty standard day for him, 20 and a half points. Cody Fletcher, 20. Malik Knowles had 17.6. That big kickoff return helped him out quite a bit and helped my team out in my victory over Alex's terrible team. Did anybody (laughs) have Nick Allen? Nope. (sighs) He's in the waiver wire if you want to get him. I just dropped him last week. I know you did. I don't think it would have mattered. What was our final score? I beat you 57.6 to 28.8. My. The contest. Was that what was the final of, of my Nutters matchup? Uh, you guys had a low-scoring affair, 37 points to 30.5. Is your 57 the highest output thus far? I think it is. Jeff had some pretty high-scoring games. They might have been right around there. I thought everybody has been in the... 40s or 30s. I didn't think anyone cracked 50 yet this year. Could be wrong. Uh, Jeff had 50.1 in the first week. Mm -hmm. That was the highest. Barely cracked 50. I will definitely remember to set my lineup because it's going to be the first thing I do as soon as we wrap up this episode. And with that said, I think this is as good a time as any to go ahead and conclude this installment of College and Kimball. Big thanks to you, our loyal listeners, if you've stuck with us through uh, the entirety of this episode. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's college underscore Kimball. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever your preferred platform is. And I'll offer up one final plug. Check out that interview I did with Keegan Renault. It's going to be another episode showing up in your College and Kimball feed this week. He has some terrific information and insight on the Oklahoma Sooners offense, what he's seen from them thus far this season, some concerns from him, but also a lot of positives. As we know, this is a very prolific Oklahoma team. So if you want the skinny on the Cats' upcoming opponent, go ahead and download that episode again. It's my interview with Keegan Renault. It's going to be showing up separately from this one in your College and Kimball feed. And with all that said, we'll wrap it up the way that we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.